Is it time for a mind shift? If you don't know what that means, then join your host, Dr. Clint Haycock, a former evangelical Christian pastor and Bible college teacher of over 20 years, along the journey of deconstruction and reconstruction of faith, life, religion, and spirituality. I'm so happy to be reconnecting with one of my favorite Canadians, the Naked Pastor. So welcome back to Mindship Podcast, David Hayward. Hey there. How you doing, man? Good to see you again. Yeah, we were just talking before we hit record. I mean, how long has it been since we did a podcast? Three, yeah, four years? Be. Yeah, it must be. I, I don't must understand be. how it's been that long. That that's just isn't I know. Well. <laughs> well, time flies. Plus, we've both been busy. And then, you know, COVID really fucked a lot of things up, too. It so. really did. How did it yeah. affect you just on a on a personal level? I mean, you, you still have your naked pastor thing. That that surely didn't change, did it? Uh, no. Um, although uh, naked pastor seemed to really climb in popularity during COVID, I guess because people mm. were home online and that's where I, I am. Mean. And uh, a lot of people found me and, uh, you know, I guess I was articulating. I've been articulating things for a long time that, Suddenly, for many people, COVID made real, and mm. um, you know, like deconstruction, leaving the church or whatever, questioning things, and um, so, uh, yeah, I I I kept doing what I do, which is I'm at home and I do my thing at home. Lisa's a nurse full time, and 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 so I have a lot of alone time, and and so you know, COVID didn't really affect that at all, mm. uh, except for naked pastor became more popular. Now, uh, you know. Uh, we we all found COVID very difficult um, here yeah. in Canada. There was a lot of isolation and, you know, not being able to get together with people, including family and, you know, bubbles and all that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, uh, I'll be interested to see studies that come out that show the long lasting effects COVID has had on us as a human race. And uh, I'm sure, you know, I, I know for me, for one and my wife and family and people I'm close to, it's affected us at a deep level, I think, that we haven't even computed yet. It's true, yeah. I was talking to Frank Schaefer about this, and he wrote a book, and it wasn't about that, but then COVID came along, and it changed everything for him, and that was kind of what he was saying, that, you know, we spent so much time with family that we never had to before. Everyone was looking at it as a negative. He was saying, but from my point of view, I got to spend almost two years with my grandchildren that I never would have had. And he said, the thing is, is once it's over, have we learned anything? We just went right back to the way it was before. I mean, do you feel like it's that's the case in your life? It's like, have we really learned anything? Have we just gone, tried to go back to the way it was before? Well, um, it's interesting. I just went and uh, last week, uh, went and saw Bruce Coburn in concert. Um, he's a Canadian singer-songwriter. And uh, it was it's still strange getting together in a in a large venue with a lot of people, um, people and people are still nervous. Um, I have some musician friends, including Bruce Coburn, who have talked about how you know there's people still preferring to, you know, um, not go out as much because they're they're still nervous about crowds of people. Uh, I'm I'm half introvert, half extrovert, so. I can spend long periods of time alone, but when I want to get together with people, I really want to get together with people. Um, and you know, that was nearly impossible to do throughout COVID. But, um, I think people have also learned that, uh, like for example, on my birthday recently, I, I got a gift card of, uh, um, to a, a movie theater and, this card gives me access to the movie online if I want it. So right. I can either use it to go to the theater or I can use it at home on my big screen TV. That's right. And the temptation is, ah, it's just stay home, you know. Just fired up on the old screen. Yeah. So, uh, but Lisa and I both, we, we do miss the getting out and, you know, being with other people and, and that's slowly building again, but it is slow. It's true because we've been to some gigs recently, probably in the last five, six months, and I've experienced exactly what you said. 
staring at this room full of people, five, 600 people in a venue, you think, God, I mean, it's so hard to believe that we lived through that where you couldn't do anything like this at all. Yeah. And I was telling my girlfriend the other day, you know, when, when we had all the lockdowns in the stores, you know, the supermarkets and everything, they had the one-way systems. And I had a lot of anxiety just going out. This was before we had any sort of vaccine or anything that could sort of stop it. And my God, I was so anxious going into these supermarkets, like stay the hell away from me, you know, two meters, you twat, get away from me, man, six feet. And you think, God, I mean, all that trauma, like you say, is still sort of there. I don't know yeah. how I processed it either. Do you feel like you processed it or is it still possible? No, oh, no, I, I, yeah, I think it's going to be long-term trauma recovery. Uh, mm. um, recently my daughter was over and she was just hanging out, um, and uh, she decided she wanted to watch an episode of uh, The Good Doctor, which I'd never seen. Um, it, it's a TV series of uh, a doctor who's on the spectrum and um, happens to become a doctor of a hospital. And he's, you know, he's obviously on the spectrum, but he's got skills. And, and uh, anyway, in this one episode we watched, it was at the beginning of COVID where they were passing food under the door or talking to each other from a different story of a building through, you know, and, and, you know, talking to each other through walls and, you know, and I, I got tears in my eyes. I got very emotional because mm. we did that. We had to do yeah. that. We, we couldn't meet with our friends. We had to, we, we would go drive, visit our friends and they would be inside their house talking through their screens. Mm. at us outside 20 feet away <laughs> same thing happened mm. with our kids and so, like that's fucked up shit it, you know that's really yeah. really deep deeply traumatic it is. it's hard and, to believe you know, we, we live through that i know it's I, like I, a dream but, it's so surreal yeah it's like that happened to us like that's yeah, that we that did really that happened. <laughs> yeah. yeah i remember yeah. that in the months leading up to it because i was teaching at a college and they kept saying you know early 2020 i guess it was we're two weeks behind Italy, and I can remember seeing those pictures online. Oh my of, God, you know, people in Italy singing across the balconies to each other, and everything, and nobody knew what the hell was going on. We thought it was going to be like the Black Death or something. And I can remember walking through the, you know, the canteen, you know, the cafeteria at the college, and there's all these students milling around. It freaked me out. And then, yeah, all the, the lockdown hit. Thank God, is it is so surreal that we lived through that, and yet, like you I, say, uh, just buried so much. Surely, yeah. I remember I was, I don't know what I was doing. Maybe I was scrolling through something and I came across this video of uh, a guy driving through, this was before COVID came here to Canada. And um, there's this guy driving through Wuhan, China. And I think the population of Wuhan is like in the millions. And um, it was in the middle of the day. And he's going, look at this, like what's going on? Like, and there's no cars, no planes, no people, Uh nothing. I said, Lisa, come look at this. (laughs) Like, is this real? And, and like, we're watching this guy driving through a major city in China and zero, nobody out. Mm -hmm. And of course we've, we've heard horror stories of what, you know, was going on and, Sure enough, it wasn't a whole lot long later where the city I'm living near, it was de- ghost town. Everything closed, nobody on the street, no cars. Like it was, yeah, it was like a apocalyptic for sure. It really is like a zombie apocalypse, you know, yeah. the walking dead. There's nobody out there. Yeah. So strange to think. Yeah, I can remember going outside and either no planes going across the sky. No. Nope. Nothing. Just this eerie silence all the time. And you think, yeah, I remember what's going on. I remember when, you know, they started, uh, the planes back up and everything. And I, I remember cause we're, we're underneath a, a flight, um, flight path, path here. And there's a international airport not far from here. But I, I remember that not seeing chemtrails across the sky, like just no, nothing. Yeah, so, and quiet. then I remember the first day I was like, Lisa, <laughs> Come out! There, there's a plane. Look, the plane, boss. The plane. It felt, it felt like, oh boy, here we go. You know, finally. Yeah. But and now, pretty near back to normal. But 
It is. Uh, whatever normal is. Whatever yeah. normal is. Well, you mentioned something I wanted to go back to. You said during COVID, the message of the naked pastor was resonating with even more people because I think we talked about that on the last podcast, your message. You do a lot of stuff around LGBTQ, the church, Jesus welcoming the sheep, the rainbow colored sheep and all that. Yeah. Clearly that's got a massive resonance with a lot of people. What was it though about the COVID thing in particular? Because obviously during the COVID, you know, I think a lot of churches must have been freaking out. They surely were because they could people couldn't go to church. And then right. while they're sitting at home on a Sunday, they're like, you know what? I yeah. didn't kind of like this not going to church thing. Do I really need this? Surely they must have been freaking out. Is that some of the stuff that was going on with the people that resonated with what you were doing? Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, for, for you and for me, I think um, the whole not going to church thing is no no big deal. I think we're so beyond that now. It's ancient history. But I think, I don't know if you can remember the day or the first Sunday you didn't go to church intentionally or whatever i remember and it was very weird it was very weird and that i had made a choice not to go and not to go back even and uh just the feeling it was very bizarre so i think there were a lot of people in that place where this is weird what do i do like you know uh, and Got all this time yeah they were searching online and you know, naked pastor cartoons, they get shared all over the place. So my cartoons started popping up here and there. It's like a, it's like a, like a virus, you know, <laughs> naked pastor cartoons, they just spread. And I think people were just finding them all over the place, addressing, you know, the things that they were going through at that time, including LGBTQ people struggling to find a place in society and in groups and in communities and in the church and in religions and, um, you know, women and BIPOC and all kinds of issues. Uh, and and like I, I've always said, I believe there's two kinds of deconstruction. One's theological and the other's ecclesiological, and those are two different things. Um, and I think a lot of people were experiencing an ecclesiological deconstruction where they started questioning the relationship to the church and to their religion. But then inevitably, uh, this often leads to questioning their theology. And I think I also address that quite a bit in my in my work. And I think people were finding some resonance there. It's true. I've, I've used that model so many times. And in fact, I've, I'm writing a sequel to my book. I've just come out. Well, I'm going to come out with a book not, not too long in the distant future, hopefully, about how I was baptized three times as a kid. Then as I thought, I need a sequel to this because when it, the book ends, basically, when I had my third baptism and then I kind of go to my de deconstruction and deconversion. I thought, you know, I, there's a lot of intervening years when I was a pastor, I was a seminary student, I was a PhD student, blah, 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 Bible college teacher. People might want to know about that. The more I thought about the structure of the book, I thought I'm going back to David's model because there are two parallel tracks, like you say. On the one hand, I was on this track of my relationship with the church. On the other hand, I had my theological worldview, the biblical theology and all that. Both of them were being impacted at the same time. But like you say, inevitably they will clash, won't they? How does that work though? Because you said, I remember one time you said, no matter which one you sort of start on, it's going to lead into conflict with the other. Uh, actually, um, theologically, uh, the th theological deconstruction will collide with your relationship with uh, mm. institutional, the institutional manifestation of those beliefs, which is you know Christianity and the church. Often, though, uh, I, when people deconstruct uh, ecclesiologically from the church, they don't necessarily deconstruct theologically. In fact, a lot of people who leave the church may become even more fundamentalist or even conservative in their beliefs. Like that whole movement, the church isn't the pure church. It's it, you know, oh, yeah. it's not the it's not the true church. We need to return and the restore the church true. to it. Yes. Oh, I was and, there and for a long. They're time. on. they that that. Uh, that's an unbearable conservative uh, theology. I, you know, it's unbearable to me, and and uh, doesn't make sense either. But um, so, yeah, the the if you deconstruct theologically, you're going it's going to affect your religion. And um, if you deconstruct ecclesiologically, it may not affect your theology. Mm. Yeah, that's true. I, I can so resonate with what you just said because. I can look back now, my deconstruction, I was a, I was raised in a fundamentalist 
situation as a kid. Then I, I guess I became an evangelical, so a bit more centrist, but I had a lot of fundamentalist beliefs. Then yeah. I got into progressive Christian authors, reading Rob Bell, Brian McLaren, Donald Miller, things like that. That was yeah. a hugely important piece of my deconstruction I see now because mm -hmm. it edged me out of the evangelical conservative thing, but I was still very much a Christian, and I was exactly in that phase you just described. I was trying to, quote, unquote, restore the authentic church. I was reading Frank Viola, and that yeah. when, when I read Frank Viola, I thought, this is exactly what I need to be about. I've got to go back and rediscover that true church of Acts chapter 2 and 3 and get back in there and growth by conversion and all the rest of it. And I spent probably five, six years as a Bible college teacher trying to preach that model and teach my students that was the way forward if you're going to be mm -hmm. a pastor. But now you're saying that's unsustainable, though, isn't it? That you can't really live that. Uh, yeah, that's that's my that's my contention. Um, you know, uh, Frank and I have talked back and forth, and um, you know, I've I've been to a, a conference of his and so on, and uh, it, it's very very interesting that whole get back to the earliest yeah. church kind of uh, model. Yeah, because if you read the New Testament between the lines, there was no unanimity at all. I mean, there was mm -hmm. a lot of conflict. But um, it was interesting at this co one conference I went to where they're like this, this house church movement or home group movement or whatever they called it. Uh, they felt it was getting close to the New Testament church, what it should be like. But there was also a lot of movement to organize it. Yeah. And to, inevitable. to create to create like overseers of districts and so on. I mean, you're talking bishops and all, you know, Yeah, it's inevitable. It's inevitable. And, and, uh, but I've, I've seen people stay in that track of, of wanting yeah. to restore and they're not going to go back until they find the perfect church and all that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Uh, for me, the perfect church, perfect church, isn't a great preacher, great program that, that where they give all their money away or, you know, all that, the perfect church for me is it's a safe place for you to be you. That's, that's for me, the perfect church. Mm. If you can find one, you know, no matter how bad the preaching is or how bad the programs are or whatever, if, if you feel safe there and you have the freedom to grow into your authentic self, stick it out. Like mm. you found a rare, <laughs> you found a rare stone yeah. and, and, and hang on to that. So that to me is the perfect church. But people who look for the perfect church, they're, they're, in my opinion, they can be very unbearable. Yeah, they're going to be disappointed ultimately. Yeah, well, and that yeah. seems to be, I know we've said this before, The me, one of the big messages of the Naked Pastor cartoon, you're seeing, let's say, Jesus, for example, healing that rainbow sheep or hugging the rainbow sheep. And you think, okay, so what's, what's the theology behind that? Is that what you just articulated saying, if you can find that church where, in a sense, in air quotes, Jesus is hugging the you know, the gay sheep or whatever it is, um, that's the quote unquote perfect church for you. If that's where you're coming from, it would that, would that be what you'd say? Cause you're not necessarily telling people to leave the church in, in, in like full stop. Some may have to, don't they? But there may be a place for someone out there in a church. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not an enemy of the church. I'm an enemy of the abuse of power that the church mm -hmm. takes advantage of. I've had many pleasant experiences at the new church. I've enjoyed some, you know, good churches, but I, in my opinion, it's it's rare to find a church where <clears throat> they're not trying to control, manipulate, coerce, mm -hmm. or abuse people. And um, you know, if you can find a church that's free of that or working to be free of that, is self aware enough to be working on that, then I think you know that's some place that I would, you know. You might stick it out. Stick yeah, it out. you might set foot in. But my question yeah. is, but on this theological as aspect, what yeah. about the quote unquote God behind that? Let's say, yeah. for sake of argument, let's say there is a God. It's the God of the Bible, the God that you and I used to worship and, and adore and everything else. We proclaim we were both pastors for years. What about the God that's behind that? Because I think this is where I'm at now. I realized that the longer I went down the deconstruction line, the more mm -hmm. problems I started to have with the God of the Bible. I said, mm -hmm. why is this God allowing all that abuse, control, manipulation, coercion to go on in his church? You know, is that where this could inevitably lead for someone? You're going to start questioning the God behind the whole thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you're going to start questioning, you, you need to buckle up and wear a helmet <laughs> if you're sincere, because you need to go all the way to the root of the mm -hmm. problem. 
And that will include, you know, um, Jesus Christ, and that will include God, and that will include, you know, all kinds of all kinds of things that intersect, um, not just theologically, but you know, we can talk about um, male privilege, uh, the patriarchy, white male privilege. Uh, racism. We can talk about cisgender white male privilege, you know, with uh, genderism and sexism and, you know, all kinds of isms. There's an intersection of all that, including including God, uh, the idea of God, the theology of God. So uh, my cartoons, let's say I draw a picture of Jesus, um, uh, you know, hugging a, a rainbow sheet. Mm. This doesn't necessarily mean, I'm just speaking objectively now, Right. Let's just say I'm an observer of the art. This doesn't necessarily mean I believe that there's a, a Jesus there waiting to hug you or whatever. Mm -hmm. I or or that there was even a historical Jesus by a man by that name, or you know, uh, or or that there was a, a a God behind his mission, even a God of the Bible and all that. These these things are are incidental to me. These these words and ideas are just that. They're just words. They're just ideas. But I'm going to use those subjects. I'm going to use that content to try to communicate, hey, if you do believe in Jesus, this is an, a healthier way <laughs> to think about this Jesus. Or if you do believe in God, uh, you need to think about this kind of thing about God. You know, right. uh, or, you know, it's because as Krishnamurti said, the word is not the thing, but we right. get so hung up on the word and we get so hung up on the ideas that we cherish so much they become beliefs and then we compile them into a book and it becomes a theology and then we preach it and it becomes a dogma mm -hmm. that everybody has to follow. And and meanwhile, we've lost, okay, what's behind all this? You know, what's behind the Bible? What, what were these men pointing at, you know, uh, that, you know, captivated their interest and they wrote so much about it? Um, that's what I'm more interested in. And so a lot of people have frustrations with me because they find it hard to pin me down on what my theology is. But to me, that's not the important thing. The most important thing is that I'm free. I'm free to be my authentic self and to explore what is beyond these ideas and these words. And that's what I try to encourage in others. And that's the kind of spaces I try to create where people feel the freedom to explore. Yeah, and I know we've I've asked you that question before because we went around and around on <laughs> that same issue because I think I asked you the last time we did a podcast, the fact that you draw a Jesus hugging a rainbow sheep or something like that. Does that mean that you believe that there was a Jesus who, you know, who should be hugging sheep and all that? And you you answer that question again, and that's that's a really kind of concise answer, isn't it? Because I could see the person, if you're, let's say, a closeted gay person in an evangelical church, fundamentalist church somewhere, then you see one of your cartoons, you think, wait a minute, that's not the Jesus I'm experiencing in this place. He's not going to be hugging me. If anything, right. they're going to tell me to go to conversion therapy or well, yeah, yeah. welcome you in. But the uh, the hidden agenda is we want you to get saved. And that means God will, quote, fix you, make you straight. And, you know, that's yeah. the line that they're going down. And they see one of your cartoons. It's like, wait a minute, that's not <laughs> what I'm experiencing. Yeah. yeah. So some people might find my cartoon my cartoons affirming and positive and encouraging and other people might find it triggering actually. Actually, yeah. I know this for a fact that some, some gay people who have been severely abused by churches, by Christianity, by the Bible, by preachers, everything, by Christianity, uh, find it really triggering to see Jesus hugging the sheep because that's just not, that Jesus doesn't exist. Yeah, that's you know? not the Jesus I know. No. When we come back from the break in the second half of my conversation with my good friend, David Hayward, the naked pastor, we're going to get into this issue of identity. Who were we? Who was David Hayward, the man, the pastor, the seminarian, and so forth, before all this deconstruction, walking away from the faith? We're going to talk about this issue of the stained glass mask and so forth. We're also going to kick around the question, were we true Christians to begin with? Were we ever saved, both of us as ex-evangelicals, ex-pastors? So more coming up in the second half. I just want to let you know what's coming up in the next couple of episodes here on the show. We've got an episode scheduled with 
Sarah Hayward, who's no relation to David Hayward. She's written a book called Giving Up God. In fact, I heard about Sarah from one of my friends, a former guest, David Morris, who was just on the show not too long ago. He's publishing her book. So that's going to be a really good conversation. I've also got a chat with Nicole Starbuck lined up. This is another really interesting person. So keep an eye out for that. And then this is probably going to be taking us to the end of the year. We're going to take a break for the Christmas holidays and all that and come back in January. So got a few more episodes coming up. And unfortunately, as I mentioned in the last show, we weren't able to line up our November Mindshift Zoom call with Catherine North. She was just on the show not too long ago, the Holy Heathen, but she's agreed to come back in January. So we will be resuming our Mindshift Zoom calls in the month of January. So these are all great benefits that you get for being a Patreon supporter of the show. And as always, those links are in the show notes. Also, one last little bit of news. I'm working on my book, Baptism Third Time to Charm. I've sent the final sort of edited version over to my good friend, Tim Sledge, who also was just on the show not long ago. He's actually going to be helping me edit the book as well as promoting it. So now it's looking like it probably won't come out until January of 2024, maybe even February. I'm not sure how long this process takes, but I want to get it right before it comes out. So at some point, probably in January, I'll be reading chapter one for you so you can kind of get a preview of what the book is about if you want to buy it. So I'll be letting you know more information about when the book is coming out. So let's get back on into the second half of the chat with my good friend David Hayward, the naked pastor, talking about the stained glass mask. What does that mean? David's going to explain that in the second half of the show. I was just thinking about this because I think it was this morning I was looking on Facebook and I saw your profile picture. You put up a picture of you and Lisa when you were back in seminary just a day or so ago. And what struck yeah. me right away was I thought, you know, I just talked to Tim Sledge the other day. I'm, I'm, I know you know Tim, Goodbye Jesus yeah. and all that. In fact, we've been on a panel, I think, before. Yeah, you yeah. Me and Tim and some other people, ex-pastors, ex-evangelical pastors. We were all in. We were 100%. You were a pastor. I was a pastor. Tim totally. was a pastor. Do you look back on that person that in that picture, you and Lisa, so idealistic and so full of life and everything? Who was that guy? You know, <laughs> who the hell was that guy? All those well, years ago. Um, my approach to that is that I like to say I wouldn't be who I am now unless I was who I was then. Uh. And it's true. Like I was at seminary, I was taking New Testament studies under Dr. Gordon V, one of the greatest New Testament text critics in the world who's recently passed. But, mm. um, and I took years of biblical Greek and years of biblical Hebrew and Aramaic and theological French and theological German because I wanted to be a New Testament Bible scholar. Yeah, you have to have and, all those languages. Yeah. And uh, I was, yeah, I was in the deep end. So I was, I was, that was me back then. And, and I've gone through a lot of changes, a lot of transformations. I mean, my, my, my trajectory has been constant, like movement. And, but so when I look back on that guy, uh, I think to myself, man, he thought, he thought he knew so much and <laughs> he was, he was just so excited and so full of vision and no mission and purpose and going to serve the church and even reform the church or whatever. Go back and, to that New and, Testament church. But that that guy is still in there, like my inner child. There's my inner teenager and my inner first married theologian seminarian guy. He's, he's all in there. And it helps make me who I am today. I mean, I don't believe what I believed then. It's developed. But I, what I believe now who I am now, if you rip that chapter out of my story, I, I wouldn't make sense to you right now mm. or, or to myself. So I try to have a gracious, um, compassionate view of my myself and, and my past. Um, and that's, I've talked about this before. I don't know if I talked about this with you, but you know, I used to think of growth as linear. That was my past. That's behind me. And I've moved on. And the stuff behind me is like the slime from a snail that's moved on. That's no good. Uh, and then I thought of it in stages, but then I realized I was kind of looking down on my former stages as beneath me mm. and um, sort of judgmentally. Now I think of growth as spatial, where I you grow outward like that, and it includes what went before. It's all in there. 
Uh, it kind of all gets folded in like compost, half shit, half earth, <laughs> half good, half bad. Arms in there. And, and that's the culture out of which I, I grow. This is me now, um, out of all that stuff. So I can, I can talk about theology and the Bible and hermeneutics and exegesis and, you know, all this and stuff. Still use that. I still use all that. It's yeah. still all part of my arsenal, but, um, yeah, arsenal like as a weapon, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, but yeah, so it's, it's, it's all there. So, but I, I've changed. It's funny, isn't it? It's, it's like, um, I, I began wondering this back when I was a really devout progressive Christian and was like, if I'm to crucify myself, who is the I that's crucifying the <laughs> me? Like that was a real, that was a real difficult question for me. Yeah. If I crucify myself, who's the I that's crucifying the I? Who's left? That's right. And and that's a very Buddhist question, actually. It is. Yeah. Very, very philosophical thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, um, and so, you know, yeah, I look way back then and there's, there's a kernel of me that there's a thread of me, um, throughout, but there, it's gone through so many, you know? Very deep, isn't it? Yeah. Well, do you find, do you think now, this is the way I view myself, I look at it in terms of what Robert J. Lifton talks about, that doubling, where I was, that was the religious self. You're creating two parallel selves that on two tracks running concurrently to each other. One uh-huh. is your religious self, one is your authentic self. And every time that you have those questions and doubts, that's actually your authentic self trying to you know break through the shell. The religious self is that mask that we wore to sort of fit in and be that person up in front, be on stage, everything. And I feel mm-hmm. like now I've I've found my authentic self. Like you said, I'm actually who I am 100%. I don't wear a mask. I don't have to wear a mask. I don't feel any compulsion to act any differently, no matter who I'm around. And when I was a Christian, I absolutely did. I acted differently in different situations. You know, was that your authentic self, that guy back in seminary, that idealistic picture? Yeah, well, I th- at the time I thought it was, mm. but we we grow, we mature, we get wiser, we become more self aware, hopefully, and we realize, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with masks. Even Carl Jung, uh, you know, talked about the validity and the value of masks, um, and and we get it from the Greek word persona, I believe. So it's our it's our personality. It's not necessarily who we are authentically, mm-hmm. but. Without masks, we would we would terrorize our neighbors, <laughs> like we, and we would make ourselves very vulnerable. So, so masks are, are kind of our personality is the expression or what we think is an authentic expression of our authentic self, even though you know next year we'll realize it wasn't as authentic as we thought. So it's it's you know this is what growth means, uh, as long as we are trying to you know, become more self-aware and become more authentic. Like, you know, I wore them. We all wear masks all the time. We can't help it. it, it mm. Our personality, we, we have to wear a personality. Um, and, and it's, it's the people who don't or who are, you know, you're probably some teaching some of them in prison. Yeah, it's true. You know, uh, and, and it's like, we, we, we need these masks. We need, we need a personality. Um, we need to manifest to others in some, some way. So there's, to me, it's, it's not necessarily unhealthy, although it, we, it can be unhealthy. Uh, and when I was in the church, you know, I, I, I wore masks often to protect myself from, from being hurt and being controlled or taken advantage of or abused. Right. And, um, and, and to also, uh, put a shield between me and my growth that I thought would be a threat to others or um, anger others, right? So, um, yeah, masks are helpful, but, uh, you know, if we rely on them and we, th- we think that's our authentic self, then we're in danger. That's true. I mean, I remember hearing preachers when I was in summer camp, Christian summer camp, I remember one guy in particular saying, you know, what we need to be as Christians, we need to remove the masks and be vulnerable, be true, you know? And I thought that can't be right because in theory, I agreed with him in principle, we should be our authentic selves in a church, let's say. But if, like you said, if we did remove our masks in church, 
my God, <laughs> you know, the addictions and the secret sins and all the stuff that would come out, we'd be judged and, you know, condemned and shunned and everything else. So you can't afford to be yourself in a church, which is ironic because as we said, that's supposed to be the place where you're supposed to be vulnerable, but yet we can't yeah. remove our masks. Yeah. We, we all know. Yeah. We all know. I call it uh, uh spiritual blackmail when mm. we're really authentic and, and then that's used against us. It's yeah. all happened to us all. I had a meeting. And there's, I've shared things I should not have shared with the people I shared it with, you know, mm -hmm. but, um, I, I did, a actually a goal of mine is to make this into a sculpture, but I did a painting of a mask and it's, it's stained glass, the mask. Right. And I call it my religious self. And I think it's, I, I love the concept. Um, I love the idea painting sold, but. Uh, I still want to actually get stained glass and turn it into a sculpture mm -hmm. because I think that's how we, many of us were in the church or are in the church is we wear the stained glass mask so that we appear holy to others when we know inside that we're, we're really struggling with a lot yeah. of, a lot of shit, you know, it's true. And when, you know, when I, when I left the church, it was very traumatic for me. And, um, I remember feeling how much I missed the community. And started to think, you know, I, I try to replace it. I try to find an alternative. Oh yeah, unsuccessfully. Mm. Uh, I tried, you know, um, a Toastmasters. I tried CrossFit. I tried this, that, whatever, and nothing came close, even close. But around the same time, I was watching documentaries on cults, and it was pretty consistent. The people they interviewed who were uh, rescued from these cults or escaped from these cults or were out adrift after these cults were put shut down um, was that they were in tears because they missed the intensity of the intimacy they had at the, those communities. Even though they were being, some of them literally fucked oh, like, yeah. and, and fussed out yeah. and exploited and their money and separated from Every families. Level they still miss this intensity of community. And it was at that point I thought, uh-oh, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe that's the deal. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's the trade is you get the intimacy. We get to fuck you. Yep. You know, and, and, um, uh, excuse my language. I hope it's okay on your part. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can swear to it. Okay. And, and, and when I realized that it was like, okay, I had to sort of go back and reanalyze how healthy was that for me and what was good and what was bad. What should I look for? What should I avoid? And, um, you know, Lisa and I had to start from scratch learning how to make friends when we were like in our fifties. And, uh, you know, now, now, you know, we've got good friends as many as we need right now. And, um, we're, we're happy about that, but man, it's hard work. It really is. That's yeah. something I realized talking to my sister Valerie a few years back and she said, after she left the church and the faith, she said it was a few years later that what really hit me, she went out to lunch with a friend of hers and they had a great time, great conversation, great meal, blah, blah, blah. Finished a couple hours later, they went their separate ways. And on the way home, Valerie thought, wait a minute, at no point in that whole conversation did I ever feel the compulsion to evangelize my friend. <laughs> and she had never even entered her mind we just had a good time. We just had a great conversation. And that was the end of it. That was the extent of it. We just had a relationship. And Beautiful. Looking back on my evangelical self, I would have felt so ashamed had I, you know, because I didn't bring up God, the Bible, Christianity, my faith, invite her to church, whatever it was. And she thought, man, that's a huge milestone, isn't it? When you start to see those, those kind of revelations coming around. Have you ever on the opposite, few on the opposite foot though, have you been in a conversation since you left the church or the faith or whatever, and you meet with somebody and they are a Christian and you know, at it's some coming. point in, <laughs> the in the conversation, they're going to say something yep. to shame you, pity you, uh, evangelize you, invite you, suggest, yep. you know, open your heart again. <laughs> It happens every single time. It's true. I'm lucky because I live in the UK here and I don't, I don't see friends from my old stomping grounds around Seattle. Oh. But one of the last times I was there about five, six years ago when my ex's dad was dying, 
I walked into a Starbucks right next to a church and I was just on a Sunday morning and I just happened to run into a couple and I could see these three pastors, you know, praying at a table, the whole thing before the service and all the rest of it. And I turned around and recognized one of the guys I'd gone to high school with. And I thought, well, shit, you know, I'm stuck now. And he saw me. He's like, oh, my God, I haven't seen you. In free. Um, he said, where are you, where are you going to church? Where, where's your home fellowship? You know, and that was the instant. That's exactly where he took it. Just assuming that A, I was a Christian and B, I was going to church somewhere in the area. You know, it was so awkward. <laughs> you know, it's like, um, not really going to church at the minute. Yeah. Um, you know, and I just kind of got out of there, but it's exactly what you said. I knew as soon as I saw him and I knew he was a pastor, I thought, oh my God, here we go. This is going to happen. Yeah. You can, you can say, uh, I go to bedside tabernacle and <laughs> yeah. uh, pastor pillow and we saying, bringing in the sheet. <laughs> That's the one. Well, here's one last question for you. This is something that Tim Sledge and I talked about. What about this question? I'm sure you've been asked this, told us. David, you were never a Christian to begin with. That's the ultimate sort of trump card, ace card, isn't it, that an evangelical fundamentalist will say. It, it surely gives the lie to all that stuff you talked about, the study, the hard work, the pastoring, the selfless service to the church. What do you say to that charge when someone says you were never a Christian? You know, that's like when somebody says, you've obviously never read the Bible. Mm. And I respond, you've obviously never read my bio, man. Like, because... <laughs> I was, I know, I've forgotten more than you remember. And um, yeah, so this, to say, I just did a cartoon the other day uh, about this very question where there's a con concentric circles and the big circle is Christians. Then the next circle is true Christians. And then the inside circle is the those who decide who are the true Christians. Oh, yeah. I got so much... Uh, uh, kickback from that cartoon really yeah like i think it's just true it's but true, the yeah. problem is the problem is and and some people showed that they were actually the people who get to decide who are the true christians Ooh, yeah. because they were saying <laughs> a true christian wouldn't be inside that big <laughs> right, okay okay thank you number three thanks for that yeah so th that's basically how i respond is like anybody who claims they're a christian they're they're a christian they're a christian now, if you want to start talking about salvation, and I don't believe in the whole salvation plot anyway, but it's you're talking about salvation and all that thing, and you just start, you know, uh, all that about what's behind all that is exclusivity. That's the only reason we have that theology mm -hmm. is to exclusivize the faith and to and to determine who's in, who's out. And so I that whole thing to me is I reject the whole thing. So mm -hmm. um and I just had somebody ask me today, naked pastor, are you a Christian? And, and what I say to them is my home is in Christianity, but I have cottages everywhere. Right. They don't like that answer either, but that's my answer. Um, way too vague. <laughs> it's, it's way too vague. They want a yes or no. Mm. But then if I did say yes, they said, well, how do you know? Or, you know, they will, they'll want, what they want to know is, are you a Christian like I'm a Christian? Because obviously they think they're a true Christian. And they want to see if I measure up. And, and you know, um, the naivete or the stupidity or I don't know what you want to call it, the blindness, not blindness, that's uh, like, I should stop using that word. The uh, or arrogance or ignorance. Yeah. The ignorance to, to think, well, the Bible clearly says, or Jesus clearly says, no, no. All we know is somebody claiming to be Luke. So says that Jesus says. Yeah. <laughs> That's really the, 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 you know, the fact of the matter. But so, uh, yeah, when somebody says you're never really a true Christian, then, you know, um, there's no point. I, I don't argue with people. Um, I don't spend the time arguing with people. Uh, I just, you know, don't bother. Yeah. You just, yeah, don't, you don't accept the whole construct really. That's a good answer. I think is it, if you get into the argument with them, it's it's a lot of it. it's a waste of time, waste of energy, waste of your breath, isn't it? What what's the point? Are you going to convince them that you were a Christian, and they're they're going to go, okay, so you were a true believer, and apparently then you lost your salvation, because that's yeah. what that's must be the answer. You were a true believer at some point in your life, you then lost it, and then the implication is shit that could happen to me. I could lose well, my salvation. Only if, that's only if you're Arminian, though. Yeah, exactly. If you're Calvinist, like if you're a Calvinist, that can't, that's impossible. You never were. 
well, you must not have been a Calvinist then because you're not one of the elect. You've, you've lost your salvation because <laughs> I lost mine. I don't know where it went, but I, I, but I guess I wasn't a good, true Calvinist. I must not have been one of the elect. That's the other answer. They'll say, well, you just weren't one of the elect. Yeah, I don't like Christian. Yeah, that's all that slippery stuff. Like when an atheist says, I don't believe in God. And then a believer says, well, I wouldn't believe in that God either. Yeah. yeah. Like it's, uh, I don't, it's, it's a way to dismiss. It's like the true church thing where, you know, you've got the true church and then you've got the, you know, what, whatever church, what what's what's that? Uh, not backslidden. Anyway. Yeah. The, the um, form church or whatever it is. The form the church, counterfeit church, all There's that. Somebody knows. No, it's the church. It's it, and and it's a way for churches who feel entitled to escape responsibility and blame for the herosities that are going on inside the church and and what the church is perpetrating around the world and religion in general. Um, you know, there that wasn't really the true church. Well, you know, it's like true marriage. What's true marriage, or what's a true man, or whatever, right? Uh, I don't, not all men, you know, not all churches, all that kind of thing. It's uh, it's a way of escaping blame and and um, responsibility. And I think I think the church needs to step up, take responsibility. Yeah. Well, I remember that famous line from Keith Green. He said one of his songs, something to the effect that one thing I've learned, if you've been burned, the Lord's not the one to blame. You know, that's that's that dodge, isn't it? If you've been burned by the church, God's not the one who's at fault for this thing. It's the flawed humans and all that. So that's another classic answer, isn't it? That you go down that line, you say, well, God's not to blame. You can't blame Jesus. You can't blame the Lord for it. You know, so there's always an answer, isn't there? I always say God gets off the hook every time. Well, that whole theodicy issue, theodicy is the study of evil. Like um, how, you know, how, why is there evil? Why do the wicked prosper? I mean, why is there injustice in the world? And, and, Philosophers who are a million times more brilliant than I have been arguing over this for centuries, yeah. and I can't pretend to step up and say I've got the answer. Here it is. I don't know. I I can't explain why there is evil in the world, except I think humans are needing to step up to res- be responsible for themselves and to own up. I think that's what the pro- where the problem is. It's in mm-hmm. the human race. And um, like I've been going down this rabbit hole lately on feminist TikTok, and I'm getting my ass whooped by because that you sure you want to go there. I'm telling you, man. I, I like even last night I had a talk with Lisa. Like I am sorry, I'm feeling really convicted. Like mm-hmm. I, I'm feeling really convicted here uh, by by these women who are pointing things out, and you know how I'm, you know, a cisgender white man, and you know who enjoys and participates in the benefits of the patriarchy. It can't be helped. It's like systemic evil. Yeah. And, and, um, you know, I need to do better. So, and that's the same with, uh, with the church and with religion. I think if, if, if we would just humble ourselves, I'm not quoting scripture, but if we, if we would just humble ourselves and own up and take responsibility and become more self-aware and do the hard work of self-reflection I think the world would be a better place and there would be less evil instead of blaming God or Satan or, you know, whatever, just to, for me to step up to the plate. Mm. It's like that, it's like that Buddhist thing where, you know, peace in the world, it, it's the peace in the country, it's peace in the city, it's peace in the home, it's peace in your heart. That's where it begins. Mm. And, and, um, and so I, I need to practice peace in my heart. And in my home, and, and hopefully it'll spread. I think that's the answer to evil in the world. You know. Oh man, I thought you were going to quote Second Chronicles seven fourteen for a second there. There's a- See, I grew up yeah. in the whole. We didn't even talk about Christian nationalism. I know we got to end this thing, but oh my god, that's a whole wow. thing. Because I was raised in that. I remember when I was a kid, probably in the mid seventies, we went and saw Jimmy and Carol Owens, and they had a whole album. They had a whole thing um, all about if my people. I think is what it was called. And it was all this Christian nationalism. So yeah, even in the mid seventies, that was a thing when I was a kid, 10, 11 years old, you know, humble ourselves and pray and, he, and seek his face. God will hear from heaven and heal your land. And it was all applied to America. And, you know, so that's a whole well, American, thing. 
Yeah, you've got your roots in America and American yeah. exceptionalism. And, yeah. uh, you know, I went to American Bible College, American Seminary, American, American Woman. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm familiar with Americans. 90% of my followers are American. So, and, you know, Trump just, sorry, you can edit that out if you uh-huh. want. But Trump's stench spreads throughout the land. <laughs> and we even smell it up here in Canada. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we never had that, um, you know, uh, Christian nationalism, although there are some people who are trying to beat that to life here. Oh, yeah. And so, and and around the world, right? Oh, Including the UK. Yeah. Yeah. There is a movement, like you say, it's spreading around worldwide, but that's a whole nother story. I know you've got to go. Yes, I'd sir. love to keep chatting with you, but this is, and I know people can find you online, but I'm going to ask you this yep. anyway. How can people find you if they want to get a hold of you and follow your work? Nakedpastor.com. Uh, and I'm really good at responding to emails and messages. Uh, I think my most active account is Instagram. Mm. And uh, the, I, I work really hard to keep that place as safe as possible. So uh, just search Naked Pastor. Make sure it's one word. If you search Naked Pastor two words, you'll see Naked <laughs> Pastors. And I'm, I'm not one of those numbers. So <laughs> that's not you up there. <laughs> that's not me. Yeah. So. You always have to say that. Don't search for Naked Pastors. So you no, you will find it. Them. That's horrifying. I can't even, that's an image just burned in my brain. Right you know what? You know what? You know what? I, I had a nudist uh, colony, a uh, community, uh, ask me if I would come and speak at their. <laughs> give the service. Would you give would a that service? Be something? I'm like, no, not my gig. I not think you might be confusing me with another naked pastor. <laughs> but if it's a paying gig, why not, David? I mean, take the money and run. You know, you never know. Pick the money and streak. That's right. I was going to say, anything can work at once, man. Well, thank you so much, David. I know it's, I, I don't know why it's been so long, but I'm really glad that we got back together after all these Yeah, years. let's do this more often. We yeah. will do it again. Thank you so much, and I will speak to you again, my friend. Hey, you know what we should do sometime? What should we do? A Q&A with your MindShift group. Oh, yes. In fact, I would love to have you on. If you want to come back and do one of our MindShift Zoom calls, I would absolutely love to have you on. Let's do it. I'll send you some possible dates and we can get together. All right, will do. Thank you so much, David. I will speak to you again. See you, brother. Bye.